Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 32 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today I'm joined by Edmund Howard, co-founder of MetAMS, and we're going to discuss the importance of education in Web3. So welcome, Edmund. Thank you Hello. for taking your time. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so let's start off with um, your background in life and crypto and how you got started, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Sure thing. I'll start from the start. Um, so I'm originally from the UK. I grew up there and I've been living in the Netherlands in Amsterdam on and off for the past 15 years or so. Um, traditionally, I've always worked in advertising as a strategist across kind of the social media side of things, the content marketing side of things. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's been kind of my main bread and butter for the last 10 years or so. Um, crypto wise, I've dabbled in crypto since I guess around 2018, more passively, just as I knew there was something happening. Um, but really only kind of started really diving deep into the whole, you know, web three ecosystem, I guess, during COVID, um, at the beginning of 2020. So yeah, my, um, my passion for all things, crypto, NFT, uh, uh really kind of picked off. I don't think, I think for many through the art side of things, um, I actually, next to having worked in, in advertising and marketing, I've always um, been yeah heavily involved in art, buying art, collecting art, but also selling it as well. And funnily enough, I was actually in Discord uh, way before a lot of people were for any kind of NFT or blockchain related thing. And that was because I was in a network of, uh, of art dealers spread out across the globe. And we used Discord to kind of like let each other know uh, what was going on in the art world, which artists were dropping what, when, and when, in which time zone. So it was a really great communications uh, tool for that. And then I guess as NFT started to pop up, a few people in that group of about, I'd say, 40, 50 people started noticing it and saying, hey, there's, there's something happening here. Lots of artists are kind of jumping on the bandwagon, which should, um, which should kind of, um, yeah, uh, at least explore and see what this is all about. Um, I guess when COVID really started, when, you know, lockdown started to happen, it gave me a little bit more time, a little bit more headspace to really start focusing on this new phenomenon and really start to explore the topic uh, and really start diving into it uh, a little bit more uh, than just, the, I guess, the, the, the surface of you know, NFTs, really starting to understand blockchain, the application of it. And I think that's ultimately what, you know, helped me really understand it was both having more time on my hands to do that, but also really enjoying and, and looking past the art kind of side of things and really to the application of blockchain throughout, um, yeah, many different verticals. Um, from there, I guess lots of people around me, including my partner and my family and my friends were really asking a lot of questions, you know, hey, what is it you're spending so much time on? Um, and most of them really not understanding any of it, as I kind of did myself in the beginning as well. And then trying to, I guess, uh, you know, help them understand it as, as as best as I could anyway. And I guess this is the bit where my where my past kind of my past experience, I should say, merged with, I guess, what I'm doing now. And that's, I guess, as a strategist, my job was always kind of breaking down complex matters into its core components and really trying to create some kind of relevancy and understanding for for someone else. Um, so from there, I kind of used that mindset to create guides, presentations, any kind of learning materials that I could to help people 
within my immediate circle also beyond that to understand web3 to really help them uh yeah understand it in its simplest form i guess and then uh yeah i did that online shared a lot on linkedin created a really kind of a massive network of people spanning the whole web3 ecosystem from you know developers to artists uh, you name it app developers and really building that kind of community that network of my own um i guess i think also just because of how early it still is without sounding too cliche i think the community in itself generally speaking does know each other it's very tight-knit and it's also very open to, to to meeting new people so i think that really helped accelerate that and i guess from there um yeah it's brought me to where i am today and building up metams and doing all the fun stuff that i'm doing within this uh, exciting space that's awesome you came to the education portion very very naturally then it sounds like that's cool yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it just felt quite native, as I said, quite relevant to what I've done in the past. And I think for me, it was quite obvious that that was the biggest job to be done there as well. Good. Can I ask what is the kind of use case or industry or something that you're most excited about in Web3? Um, well, yeah, I mean, without sounding like a broken record player, I, th- I think education itself. Yeah. So obviously less educating people, but more within, an, a, I guess, a sector that I think is quite renowned for being quite outdated and, and struggling to modernize a lot. Um, you know, there's, there's e-learning platforms that are struggling to really understand how they can fund themselves or create uh, revenue streams. But then there's also an institutional level. There's, there's universities, there's different uh, kind of institutions that have a hard time cooperating with each other uh you know at a student level but at an institutional level as well and i think there's a real efficiency that can be made within edu- the education sector in particular that i think um could really really be revolution revolutionized through through tokenization and blockchain so i think that for me is the number one and there are some other really cool use cases i've seen within stuff like real estate and, and the automotive sector as well that i'm very very keen on 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 exploring even more and seeing where that leads to but yeah i think education for me as a societal impact thing i think that's got yeah it's got a lot of scope to uh, to go places definitely should we uh, kind of watch out for that being your next big project then <laughs> Oh, I try, I try and find the best way in. I, well, funnily enough, my mom works in education. She works for Pearson, which is a big publisher, and she's always sat on the e-learning side of stuff, which has also, I think, been a lot of inspiration for me to think about kind of the challenges she's bumped into. So maybe that's one avenue of getting in there and, and seeing how we can collaborate, maybe a, a mother-son collaboration on the horizon. Oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, good. So then let's talk a little bit about Medans because that was huge. I was there. It was fun. Um, awesome. But it was more than just fun. So can you maybe walk me through how you came up with the idea? I mean, obviously yeah. the educational portion and really why Medams? Why did you feel like that was something that needed to happen? Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, I think here again, the education thing came along the way. I don't think that was from day one, like, hey, we, we need to educate everyone. I think it just along the way seemed like the most logical path to helping more people understand this space. So I guess to start again from the start here, um, you know, uh, it came about with me. I have a consultancy, it's called Gen3, and it's really helping brands, businesses, and also agencies understand the world of Web3. So again, taking my marketing background and really helping brands kind of navigate the space. And then I met with uh, some friends of mine at a company called The Grandfather, and they are more on the brand partnerships side, um, have, a, have a background in entertainment, music, and, and kind of the softer side of marketing. And I think um, we came together and realized there was a real opportunity at the back end of 2021 to, to put something together that focused on the art or cultural side of Web3, 
um, for a number of reasons that I can kind of dive into in a moment. And they'd planned to do a kind of digital art fair before COVID had happened. Um, and they'd seen that I was, like I said, I was pumping out a lot of stuff online and they, they saw that I was operating in this space. Um, and, when, and then I think when we came together, we, we realized that there wasn't an event that really focused on Web3 through this cultural lens. And for us, I think that was the starting point, like the role of culture and how that could be applied to everything that's happening. Um, I think from there we were like, okay, this is an interesting angle. This could be something that creates relevance, creates some interest, you know, it lets you explore things like music, fashion, uh, film even, and other kind of the, the fun side of, of, of life, but also the more important, well, more important, maybe not, but definitely the more chunky and meatier topics to be had as well within culture. So we went around and we did a bit of research. We looked and attended at, at other conferences and we saw this kind of trend emerging, um, and by the way, there are great conferences out there, so I don't ever want this to sound like we're bashing everything and anything else. But what we did notice that it was often the same people in the same room having the same conversations. Um, and it was often the, the same kind of crowd as well. And, and it was primarily those people that I'd seen at one conference were at the next one as well. And it became a little bit of a theme that I was thinking, well, if it's continually the same people in the same room, how is this, you know, how is this echoing to the outside world? I think on top of that, for us as well, uh, we, we noticed that basically anywhere upwards of 80-90% of the audience were white male. And um, yeah, it kind of felt like a lot of the ways that these these kind of conferences were positioning themselves was very corporate and very almost stale in some aspects as well. And I think with anything, especially now post-COVID, people want to come together, they want to have fun, they want to connect. And I think that was missing a little bit as well. So I think from there, we, yeah, we really real, realized that there was a, a an opportunity to reach a broader audience, a more diverse and inclusive audience as well from both the attendees, the speakers as well, and also creating a brand that felt more approachable and inviting by default that would hopefully have a bit of a knock-on effect and influence then who would turn up at your, your conference as well. And I think those are the, the kind of main elements. So I guess in summary, kind of like it had to be fun, inviting, branding. Um, it had to have kind of comms or a positioning that appealed to both Web3 natives, but also outside people outside of that sphere. Uh, education, we saw needed to really sit at the heart of everything because there was a narrative too much on the monetary side of things and less on the tech side of things that really is the future of all of this. And I think for us, it needed to be, yeah, like again, just needed to really hone in on the value of Web3, of NFTs, of blockchain, of all those subjects that people are talking about to more use case uh, and, and value-driven kind of uh, um, examples as opposed to just the monetary side of things. So there, yeah, it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but that kind of gives you an idea of how we got there. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you planned the whole thing in six months. Was mm. there a reason behind that, that it had to be such a quick turnaround? Well, I think, um, I th yeah, I mean, eventually, and I guess fundamentally, the reason we we did it so quickly is we wanted a first mover advantage. I think we felt that, that, okay. that what yeah. we were doing was unique. Um, and I, th I think... There were already, you know, in, in, in pockets of communities I were in, there were already talks of, you know, similar events happening in Amsterdam and, you know, kind of veering into what we wanted to do. And that kind of felt like, a, okay, like, you know, the market wasn't doing really great at that time and everything was pumping and everyone was having a great time. So it was like, okay, let's just do it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think if you look at now, the scale of what we did versus... And, and six months, it would, and we would have... I don't think I don't think we would have done it just because it's bonkers. But I think our starting <laughs> point was much smaller, and it kind of naturally kind of uh, evolved uh, from there. So, yeah, I think 
because we started off smaller and it ended up exploding that that made it kind of like achievable in six months but then this roller coaster we jumped on just kind of took it from there <laughs> as these things do i think yeah yeah yeah. All right. Then I guess kind of the last little bit about Medium specifically, what are some things you learned and how do you plan to improve in the future? There's lots of learnings. I think in year one as well, there's always, you don't, you, you don't quite know what you're in, in for until you've done it. Right. So there's lots of stuff that maybe in our heads we were like, Oh, that's the perfect way of doing it. Whereas in hindsight, we would do that differently. I don't think there are, there are many big things that we would change uh, that would maybe noticed by the audience but maybe just behind the scenes stuff but i think more holistically the more important the, the more i should say the most important thing that we learn is that this idea of community is it's not just a buzzword i think it's something that's mentioned continually in the, all the time and community this and community that and it's all about the community and i think met Am's really showed that it really is about the community i mean it brought so many different people from different walks of life I think many of whom will also tell you that they've made you know friends for life during Matt Adams or at least really good friends that they're staying in touch with. Um, just seeing that unfold both at the event but also post-event is, for us as organisers, it's the most incredible and inspiring thing to see. So, I mean, that harnessing that is going to be is going to be crucial to any success we have in the future. Um, secondly, I, yeah, I think you know it's important to understand, and, and there's a there's a lot of kind of it's a topic in and of itself, but I really think that you can create an environment that's that by, you know, through its narrative feels more diverse and inclusive and then therefore has a knock on effect of really, you know, people turning up who are more diverse and inclusive. And I think some people will point fingers and go, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a reason that more men are in this than than, than women, which I, I just, yeah, I don't think it's true. I think there's always just been a more, it's been a slightly more male dominated industry for many reasons. There's some cultural aspects to it that are less nice, that are less inviting to women. I think if you just take those things into account and as an organizer of a content, I think of a conference, I think it's really, you know, it really is possible to drive that home and get the kind of get the diversity up, up to where it should be. And I think for that, we were really delighted to see such a diverse audience. We had, I think it was about 42% women in our audience, which I think in this space and in the tech space, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's really, it's not heard of and you can only control that to a certain degree, but it's, it's, um, it's great to see that that really kind of turned and showed up at the event as well. Um, I think also, yeah, the, the cultural aspects for us was important. And we'd really, like I said, we were driving that home um, from day one. And I think that's something we can push even harder in the in the coming years. You know, I think the fundamental idea of culture creating relevance and relevance creating some kind of familiarity is really something that's going to help towards mass adoption. So I think in that sense, I think driving that home and harnessing that even more is going to be crucial to our success. Um, I think well, obviously we had a chat last week as well, Alex, uh, uh, about yeah, just the y- y- your guys' experience at the event. You're a brilliant sponsor of, of ours as well. So thanks also on a side note. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> no, it really does mean a lot, and uh, especially in the first year, you know, it's really we're really dependent on great partners like yourself. So um, so thanks for that. But you know, we were talking about networking and bringing people together even more. We had a brilliant app this year, Brella, which was really great as a starting point to get people talking and meeting and having uh, having a space to basically arrange uh, uh, networking outside of just you know, walking around randomly at the conference and tapping on people's shoulders. Also for sponsors and stuff like that. It's, I think that's something that we can bring to a next level next year as well. Um, and I think, yeah, that that's something that really, you know, is going to really drive and empower that community even more and even more. Um, 
and I guess yeah, the 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 from the content side of things, I think we had a we had a yeah we had an approach that this year showed a little bit more yeah quick fire snappy content that had a lot of breadth but i think next time we will we want to keep that format but have an extra space where we can dive into topics a little bit deeper have longer sessions about specific things that maybe go into the more technical aspects or maybe the policy aspects that are yes that 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 warrant just a little bit more time so i think those things are, are going to be important for us and yeah i think lastly also more side events and smaller events and really bringing the madams culture and madame's spirit alive throughout the city throughout the um throughout the, the the days is going to be really important to yeah just yeah making it making it feel even more special so yeah i'd say those are those are the main learnings and things for next time yeah on that sort of note is that kind of a lesson that we can apply to all education especially about web3 where when you try to hit everybody at once it doesn't maybe always land um and so it's better to do kind of a, a focused situation yeah i think so and i mean um i think we yeah we always we always started with culture as a starting point and i think that that is broadly applicable to everyone but i think what worked for us and i think i don't know we've we've heard a lot about bigger conferences and especially nft nyc for example where there was lots and lots and lots and lots of people having smaller intimate audiences and doing it slightly more focused i think one felt a little bit more special, but also two meant that the connections that were made were like genuine. I think people had just more time to speak to people and to really have those conversations that at this stage of where we're at with Web3, with everything, it's really important that, you know, those connections are being made and those conversations are being had. So I think in that sense, the the size and the scale of it's definitely not something that we're going to want to see explode over the next few few years either. That's something we want to keep quite focused and contained as well. So, um, yeah, see where that takes us. Smart. Good. Good. Um, and obviously, I think, you know, a live event is definitely important to you. How important are live events in general to education within Web3, do you feel? Um, I think I think ultimately a live event is, um, you know, it's it's somewhere where, where, where human connections are made. I think there's a lot of value and a lot of um uh yeah a lot of value to be found in in the digital connections in digital environments in digital meeting spaces but in the same way that we all got kind of sick of staring at google and zoom during corona i think we were all craving this kind of in real life connection in real life meetup because i think we as individuals as humans need that to thrive so i think we like to see Metams as the kind of that peak, that moment in the year where people can come together, where people can talk about stuff in person and build those like true real life connections that they can take away the rest of the year and build on digitally, no matter where they are in the world. But really that, yeah, I think having a, having a physical space to go to really brings that, that relationship and, and that, that kind of connection to a more meaningful level. That's what we believe at least. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Then I'm going to kind of move us into the education topic in a really big way. <laughs> yeah. So who are we educating? Who is responsible for the education? Is it a one size fits all? Mm. Yeah. Let's just jump I right mean, in. <laughs> yeah. It's a big question, right? It's a big mm-hmm. topic because um, there, there are many ways of exploring. I think as, as early adopters of any new technology, it's vital that whatever we do as people who do understand it or maybe understand it, not in its entirety, but more so than others, it's vital that whatever we do, 
we try and do it in a welcoming tone and in with an inclusive mindset. And I think it's easy to, from both sides of the net, to become hostile and maybe a little bit ignorant to things that you know you don't know. Because I think people inherently don't like change. Um, all besides this, people often might shut down when they can't grasp things quickly or apply it instantly to their own lives and and how it might affect them as individuals. And I think. The reality is that Web3 has the potential to impact everyone's lives in the future. It's just about how we show people that and in what way. And I think personally, anyone with skin in the game now who really wants Web3 to thrive and become mainstream in the future, I think they have a responsibility, but more importantly, even maybe the opportunity to help educate those people who are interested in Web3 or open to understanding it and ultimately help shape the future of, of the space we're in. So I think... I think it's everyone in that sense is responsibility without that sounding like a burden, but more so mm-hmm. it's just, it should be in everyone's interest that everyone in within their own special niche, maybe, or within the, the, their understanding of the ecosystem really tries to, and takes the time to explain that to people who, who, who might want to know about it. Um, and, I, and I don't think in that sense that there's a specific target audience at the moment, though I do think it's a combination of top down and, and, and bottom up uh, that that approach that's really needed for this to become um, yeah main, mainstream, um, and by that I mean I guess top down. This space has already seen a lot of scrutiny. It's got a lot of eyeballs from policymakers, from from governments, and people who who are in charge. And I think they are often distracted by the volatility and price points of tokens. Whereas I think it's important we veer them more towards showing them what the underlying tech is, what the use cases of that is, and I think it's our job to do that and and obviously they need to take time to research these things themselves but it's very easy from this web3 mentality of being you know decentralized and you know and we're against the system i think this isn't the right mindset right it's important that we're helping those people in decision making positions to understand the value but also understand or show them that we understand that there's flaws within this system but we're working on it we're working on it um i think that's super interesting and and really important i was at an event recently in, in utrecht and it was really encouraging uh, to see someone from the European Parliament there. They're working on Mika at the moment, and they were there mm. to explain their methodology. They were there to show what they're reforming, how they're reforming it. And, um, you know, initially I remember just thinking, oh, here we go, another policymaker. And, <laughs> and I, I left the room thinking to myself, well, this is super insightful, you know, because now I'm getting an idea at least of what their, their thoughts are, the things they're bumping into. And now hopefully I can go away and think about how I can help them solve those problems as opposed to just, you know, going, you know. Okay, so you left the room after they talked. I did, yes. <laughs> okay, good. I did. And it was funny, There was a, it was a good mix of European uh, legislators, well, a, a European legislator, there was a, a local Dutch um a politician who was a, a massive maxi and it was interesting to hear them talk from both sides of the spectrums and find some common ground as well and i think that's ultimately what's what's needed right it's common common ground and um you know we had some companies like shell as well so from the private sector showing how you know as, again a company that doesn't really have a great rap but showing how they're using blockchain to basically create greater transparency and also create greater uh, accountability when it came to their sustainability targets as well and then you just see how the actually a lot of this tech is being used in in everyone's interest outside of everything we're talking about now so i think seeing this and getting an understand the, an understanding of the bigger picture the elements of society that we have to deal with and and, and how we have to work together and, and how we can best work together is crucial to any type of education but also in any type of cooperation 
Um, so that's that side, I guess, the top down. And then on the other hand, I think we have the potential to really reach and educate many through this more grassroots approach, the, the kind of bottom up. And here it's about showing users, creators, the power and, again, the usefulness of Web3 across different themes and different moments in their lives. And this is where I think we'll really see massive adoption. I think brands, again, here, the private sector has a huge role to play here in, in showing how this can be adopted and, and the, the way that it can be used. So whether it be through art or music or film or even, like I was mentioning earlier, healthcare, automotive, real estate, education. I think ultimately these topics will you know, show people how it's applicable in their everyday lives to the everyday Joe and Jane. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, here it's about because of this, you create relevance, you create familiarity, and it's the relevance of familiarity that will ultimately take down the barriers and create some kind of, um, yeah, a, a movement towards more mass adoption. And I think that's that's the job to be done right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. So you keep talking a lot about inclusivity and I love that. That's great, especially um, as a woman and I've gone to conferences and I will say specifically Mariam's, I didn't feel quite as outnumbered as I have right. before. That's um, amazing for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so, not easy. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's weird. I'll say it's weird and mm. it, it doesn't make you want to stay in a place where you're no. the only one. Um, so maybe do you have any any tips, I guess, for how to make a space more inclusive to help push that education and and increase the, the visibility, I guess, overall? Mm. Yeah, I, I think... I think it's 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 tricky because there are only so many things that you can influence. But I think when you are pushing out a narrative as any organization, as a brand, as a conference, anything, I think it's I think it starts, and this might be the marketeer talking in, in, in me, but I think it starts with literally what do you look like as an organization? And I think there's a there's a stigma, there's a dogma around what com what conferences are people in suits and you know this very stale environment but also the 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 uh, the bro culture within crypto these kind of things that have become prevalent it's about how can you as a brand help break down those barriers right so for us it started with that our first move was basically getting the the messaging and the branding into a space that felt uh felt neutral at least and, in, and if anything fun and vibrant as a secondary you know so i think for us, uh, bringing that to life and, and then and then using the branding as a kind of, uh, you know, as a as a way to go left, right, uh, you know, invite uh, speakers from different backgrounds, different parts of the world that you wouldn't normally uh, uh, that you wouldn't normally see. Who then they they themselves tap into cultures and parts of society that you wouldn't normally have access to. I think if you if you work like that again by just tapping into the right communities then I think you do have some kind of control over what the output is at the end of the day. And I think seeing that from our speakers on stage, but also just through to, you know, the the way that we were leveraging in a, in a positive sense, leveraging the communities of people who were maybe from third world countries who had a huge female following, but also working with local groups who had a very female focused kind of um um, yeah, community as well. Bringing those people in at an early stage and giving them a voice, giving them a position to get involved was crucial to 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 making that come to life. And I think it's always a theory until you do it. And we we did it, and I think we can now say that it it really worked. And hopefully, it's something we can just build on more and more and more in the future. So um, yeah, hope that answers that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, good. So 
obviously we're talking a lot about the live events and that makes sense. <laughs> but um, when you think about education on Web3, what does it look like? What forms does it take mm. or avenues should we be focusing on? Um, are there certain ways that are more successful than others in your yeah. opinion? Yeah, I think here again, it's not a one size fits all, right? Because again, education is like, the question is who, again, like who's being educated, when are they being educated and, and in what ways, right? So it really has to do with, I think, with whom you're speaking to and, and the context of within within that. So I, I think that, that said as well, though, there are kind of fundamental principles that I think that should sit at the center of, you know, any, any kind of education within this space. And I think that's that truth and value should always sit at the core of anything that's being being kind of delivered message-wise and I think what what this means is that it's not only just talking about this is great this is wonderful this is amazing it's also by like I said earlier as well when it comes to policy about exposing and and not exposing so much that sounds negative but just being really frank and real about the flaws in this space as well because I think the worst thing is is when you get you step in because everyone's hyping it up but then you realize there's holes everywhere then it just kind of becomes very unattractive very quickly whereas I think when you start um, from saying, hey, look, there's something really interesting happening. But then, you know, hey, also we, we're working on this, whether it's UX or UI or security and all these these aspects. These are things that people need to know from day one. And I think during the bull market, what for me uh, became uh, prevalent or at least apparent was there was a pretty like this utopian narrative regarding Web3 being pumped out everywhere as though, you know, like, like why are we even waiting anymore? And you know, screw you, Web2 and everything Web3. And I think if I were to go by anyone, any kind of Web3 influencers, definitely on Twitter, maybe less on LinkedIn, as an outsider, I would have thought, oh, well, I've either missed the boat on this or mm-hmm. what the hell is this cult of people, you know, what are they talking <laughs> about? And I, I think the reality is somewhere in the middle where there's, you know, we're on the cusp of something exciting. But I think we also have to be sober and realistic when it comes to communicating what it is exactly that we're doing to the outside world and and, and that there is still a lot of work to be done. And I think this type of education that looks to break things, mainly complex things, I think complexity is another thing that's prevalent in our our domain of talking in jargon, but also terminology that people just don't understand. So breaking those things down into its core components and being honest about those shortcomings, I think that's a great first first step. and I think another thing, and it might be more metaverse term specific and as an overarching theme, is that I think we need to be a little clear about what it is we're communicating when we talk about the metaverse, because this this term has become a bit of an all-encompassing term for anything and everything digital, whether it's Second Life from all those young years ago, or some people are talking about <laughs> Fortnite and other people are talking about mm-hmm. The Matrix. You know, it's a, it's a very it's a loaded term with lots of different connotations and means lots of different things for different people. And I think, again, they're also breaking it down. You know, a lot of people don't understand even the, the difference outside. They don't understand the difference between an open and a closed metaverse, for example. Or lots of people would preach that an NFT can basically be the solution to everything and everything and it'll all be fine as long as everything's an NFT when that's obviously not the case. So it becomes a little bit more confusing when if that's the, you know, if, the, if we're shoving all of that stuff into one corner going, this is, this is it. I think that we just need to be a little bit more focused and clearer in what we communicate. And then again, obviously the, the, the question at the end of the day is then how do we communicate that most effectively as well? And how do we deliver that, uh, that to the people? And I think again, here, obviously it depends on whom you're speaking to. So if you're speaking to a brand, 
it might be breaking down some of the misconceptions and then helping brand managers or marketeers to really understand the way in that all of this technology is applicable to them, their teams, their product. So working sessions might be a great way of educating. But for a younger audience, it might be video content that's more effective way of educating and then working with native Web2 social platforms to help bridge that gap and you know uh, bringing them in on that way. So I think, yeah, there's many different facets to it. There's, yeah, clearing it all up, making it simpler for people to understand and also just leveraging the kind of different communications methods that we have at our fingertips towards the right audience. Yeah. Yeah, I I find it interesting that you bring up the difference in communication and education styles from, yeah, <laughs> the pull to bear markets. I even thinking about the com- conversations I've had on mm. expert talks here between a few months ago to now it's exactly as you said before it was this utopia and now it's just be honest just be genuine um yeah do you think i guess on that on that same vein that there are better types of um education for a bear market or yeah is it just come down to what you're Mm. communicating i think I think the the key is is that you want some kind of consistency, right? And um, we shouldn't be having to change our narrative based on the good times and the bad. Of course, slightly yes, but it shouldn't be <laughs> as volatile as the price of a token, right? It can't be mm-hmm. all up one mm-hmm. day and all down the next day. And I think the key here is about finding a a, uh, a productive way of always focusing on value driven content education that is also humble and realistic in its uh, in its in its narrative because a lot of the uh, a lot of the false promises a lot of the hype a lot of the the kind of uh, everything from you know as i said influencers hyping stuff up and it not being not being the reality but even product builders uh, hyping up products and going this is the best thing you've ever seen and then a month later they cease to exist i think it's natural it's part of market cycles but i think the winner will be one who steers somewhere in the middle and sees the upsides, but again, can also really uh, see the downside. I think now in a bear market, we're all, we're obviously, we're hearing a lot about, you know, it's time to build, it's time to build, we need to build, we need to build. And that's great. And we should be building because there's less distractions now. But I think the questions that should be asked is what am I building and what value does it have? Because it's all very well building now, but if you're still going to build something that when, you know, market does recover slightly, it's, and it, and it serves no purpose and it's, it's built on the same philosophy of, you know, short term, short term gains, it just, it won't succeed. So I think being a little bit more critical there as well, you know, what am I building? Where does it add value? And, and also, you know, to, towards the future, I think that's within a bear market specifically the questions people should be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, with um, these kind of up and coming projects, especially that are building right now, um, as they're building, how heavily do they need to focus on education with their kind of, yeah, with their project as a whole and as Mm. their marketing or, or whatever they're doing? I think their their success depends on it. Right. So I think, um, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying everyone should go out there and, and you know spend 50% of the time building a product and 50 on educating. I don't think that's quite how it works. I think now, though, amidst all the calm, we have an opportunity to gather our thoughts and then explain to people what we're doing. Whereas now it was you know quite uh, uh, 
hype driven. It was very short term thinking. Now people have got to go back to the drawing board and think about what their their app metaverse world, their product is going to look like, not in the next six months, but also in the next two years and, and beyond that. And I think to survive that, they'll need to be able to convince investors. They'll need to be able to convince future product buyers. They'll need to be able to convince people who are buying their products at scale at the you know management level. So I think it's only in their own interest to start focusing on on what that means for their audience. So it might be it might be the idea and the use of you know a metaverse world as a functional tool for bringing people together. At, corporations around the world to create environments in which they're far more productive than than you know a zoom call for example but then it's now about showing them how that happens and what the ux and what the ui needs to be and why it's better and all of these kind of things and why does it need to exist as a decentralized version versus a centralized version and i think these are the things now that we have a bit more breathing room that can be the focus of any app builder product builder artist anyone building in this space genuinely building in this space to to focus on now and um, and I guess to that, in, in that sense, yeah, marketing plays a, a role because it's about what you're communicating and to whom you're communicating it. And I think that, that a bit of time spent on that will really help benefit any anyone building in this current climate. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Um, I'm going to kind of circle back a little bit to something you said earlier, which is um, that we need to shift Web3 from being very focused on the financial and coin prices and all of this to being more about exploration and, and the, the impact of what we can do with it, right? Um, so what can we do to help bring down those entry barriers for brands and individuals that can help with that sort of growth rather than just focusing on financial I think a lot of it is to shift the, the 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 linguistics as well. I think we've gone through a phase now where NFTs and, and a lot of the words that we're using and throwing out they've almost passed their sell by date before they've even copped on, which is somewhat a shame. But I think there's sexier words than NFT to basically describe some digital ownership. I, I think one. It's to start using lingo language that feels familiar again there mm-hmm. and is also straight away uh, applicable to, so let's say a brand wants to create and, and, and you know engage with their customer and consumer in a new and an innovative way. An NFT might be interesting, but you know if you can package that up as a, a kind of loyalty mechanism that is value-driven and let's call it utility-driven for now, I think it's about showing that from day one and going, look, your NFT the price you sell it for shouldn't be the, the determining factor of why you're doing it. You should be looking at what does it mean to give a someone within my audience the uh, the feeling that they, or not even the feeling, but the, the, the idea that they're part of this ecosystem that they are now literally own or part own because they own a, a piece of it. They have a say in the matter. They, you know, it doesn't have to be high level. It can be very low level, but you can still make people feel that they're inherently part of a community. Like, what does that mean for the brand? How can a brand leverage that? What does it mean for e-commerce in the future? And I think when you start to explain and show, you know, within the context of what brands are working on now, how it can elevate that and create even stronger and more meaningful connections, then I think that's the way you kind of bring and bridge that web two to web three gap. I think as long as we're still talking about tokens and you know the 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 idea of uh, an nft you know which has now been tainted with this thing that you have to flip to make money i think as long as we're talking about it in that way it's always going to have a 
a negative association to it. And I think also, you know, you just want to give people the idea as a brand that you're doing something not to make a quick buck as a brand, but to really drive, uh, to drive value uh, to, to, to them as an audience or as a fan. So, yeah, I think, I think creating relevance in that way and really taking your time also as a brand to really explore what this new domain means for you and work out specifically how your brand can do something within that field, that's really going to help uh, kind of steer it in the right direction. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't hear a lot of people talk about the linguistics of it. Maybe it's just the marketing background, but it's. I think that's also, yeah, very important. Yeah, I mean, it's not everything, right? I mean, well, it's not everything, but I think it's an important one just because we have to be frank about the past year. And, and yeah, there's going to be, if we keep talking about NFTs the same way we've been talking about NFTs, whereas there's actually a much interesting, a much more interesting wider topic to be had around digital ownership. Then, then I think we're limiting ourselves. So I think, yeah, language plays a huge, a huge role in that, and I think that could be a great, a great way to help bring in, uh, bring in brands. Definitely, definitely. Good. So, could you maybe give me a couple examples of maybe projects or brands or something in in the Web three space that is doing really well with educating? Um. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I haven't seen much from brands on educating with for Web3 in its entirety. I think Doodles has done a great job in bridging, for example, the native Web3 branding to a Web3 audience by creating an entertainment brand and bringing in, you know, people, familiar people, familiar faces and structuring their organization as a company, as all NFT projects should. I think that's super interesting to observe as an outsider and, and I start to understand how it might work. Um, I think what's been interesting for uh, the recent drop that Clonex did of these 3D files has been pretty interesting for those within the space looking to explore a little bit more how their avatars might be used in the future in different worlds and how they themselves can become creators and have the the full the full licensing of, uh, on that avatar, which is obviously something that sits at the heart of Web3. Um, those are those are interesting use cases. I don't know if if it's in a brand's I don't know if it's in their in well, it might be it's certain definitely in their interest, but I don't know if it's their main focus right now is to educate the masses on Web three is rather than to explore as an early adopter should and, and would explore a little bit first on how this would become relevant. Uh, brands are always a little apprehensive to go all out. I mean, we've had Nike and we've had Adidas. Uh, we've seen them kind of lead the charge. We've seen brands do it poorly, like Pepsi, who just yeah really missed the mark. Budweiser who did a pretty shocking job as well, if you ask me. And I think there's 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 a apprehensive apprehension from most brands in the middle to go all out and 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 kind of like okay, we're we're doing this now and we're doing a lot of it. So I think now we'll see brands test the waters a little bit. And then it'll be interesting to see how they package it and then maybe even just, yeah, as I said, use different language to get more people on board and, and bring them into this space as opposed to trying to teach them exactly how a blockchain works and exactly how how the, the, the kind of nitty-gritty things work. I think for them it's about creating a user experience eventually that's not going to deter someone from using uh, a digital asset that's linked to their brand but more make it very intuitive and make it feel easy. So I think, again, there it'll be a... It'll be a combination of linguistics on on top of just yeah taking it easy and not going all in. Yeah, I want to drill down on that point a little bit. So with <laughs> not teaching people everything about blockchain and NFTs, like 
where is the line for education and and what kind of where do we want to direct that education i guess mm. um again i think i think it's here it's the kind of it, it, it kind of also it's to what degree do people need to know about yeah. the ins and outs of the technology that things are being built on so for me for example um, I, I don't really understand the mechanics of why when I pick up my mobile phone and I press on uh, someone's name, it then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know the mm-hmm. ins and outs of the mechanics. And what I do know is that when I do it, I get someone else on the other end of the phone and that's <laughs> yeah, what I wanted. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, Hey, this is brilliant. And the same might, you might apply the same logic and thinking to, uh, you know, how an airplane works, for example, I get in it and it takes me into the sky without me understanding the laws of, uh, you know, aerodynamics, etc. And I think it's the same with this thing. I think as long as we're creating value for the user at the end of the day, I don't think it's necessary for everyone to understand and really go into the nitty gritty of blockchains, different layers, what different layers mean, you know, and, I think there again for, for, for builders and, you know, when they're talking to investors and when they're talking to their consumers, they really need to just be mindful of not making people more scared and alarmed and instead focusing more on the value that they're driving at the end of the day as well. So it's a tricky one. I think, again, it really depends on who you're speaking to, but I think I'm an advocate of a lot less jargon and complicated language if it's not needed, you know, um, at times it definitely is, but most of the time it isn't. Yeah, no, that's fair. So focusing on the education of how this thing is going to improve the life rather than how right. it works. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Um, maybe you could tell us um, when you were first entering the Web3 space, were there certain things or certain resources that really changed your perspective or got you excited about it and that we could point our listeners to? Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the the kind of the light bulb moment was when I, I mentioned it earlier there as well, when I understood the idea of digital ownership. Like, I, I think I was in NFT Paris in February when Yatsu from Animoca Brands, chairman of Animoca Brands, he did a keynote on um, on um, uh, on you know what does digital ownership mean and what, you know what does that mean for the future and and I'd already had that light bulb moment just before that, but that that presentation really really opened my eyes up to what the relevance of it will be going forwards as we live in this kind of digital era that's only going to become more increasingly digital so i think that um that for me was a, a something that really well one brought me into this even more and really showed me what the value uh you know the real tangible things that can happen um uh, with this um i think again like someone with a marketing background different ways of engaging with fans and customers and you know having you know having something in the almost in the palm of your hands uh, you know something, something the marketers have been trying to do for decades which is trying to create meaningful relationships with their customers outside of just product selling i think that this whole revolution or paradigm shift if you want to call it has a real opportunity to do that for select groups in kind of like you know tight-knit groups for really people who want to be there and really want to be that close to the brand i think web3 has an amazing ability to be able to to kind of add to that and uh, uh yeah make make their customers stakeholders and decision makers um and i guess lastly the opportunities that all of this is create created for creators uh, and i mean again this is how i guess i got into it was the outside of things but really seeing creators and people from around the world 
being exposed to different audiences, new audiences that may have been typically dominated by Western audiences and now seeing them get into touch with other people around the world, collaborating with them in an open source way, working with brands and other projects that they would never ever have, have dreamed of. And, and I mean this outside of even the financial uh, rewards that come with it and the royalties that, uh, that are obviously registered with this work. I mean it just more out of a human connection type of thing, which I think is ultimately the power of the metaverse with the power of blockchain and Web3 is creating genuine connections at scale that would never have ever been been thought of before. So, um, yeah, I think that's what I'm most, that's what I was most excited about and still, still very excited about today. And, um, yeah, I look forward to exploring that even more going forwards. Cool. Perfect. Um, we're about ready to wrap up. Is there anything that you would like to plug? No, not really. Um, yeah, I mean, keep your eyes out for the MetAms channels. We've, we've got a lot in the pipeline as far as smaller meetups, both digital, physical as well. Uh, we've actually got a pretty fresh Telegram channel. You can find it on our Twitter or on our LinkedIn as well. So if you want to join in, in on the fun there and, and, and kind of either reconvene with people that you met with at MetAms or meet new, great, awesome people who are a part of that community as well, feel free to join in. And um, yeah, other than that, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Um, and then my very last question, who should we have on Venley Expert Talks next? Uh, ooh, it's a tricky one. So I think you should invite Oliver Schierenberg. He is a IP and media lawyer within Web3, and he is both a fascinating man to uh, speak with, but also extremely insightful with, again, things that people don't really consider and think about within this space, but are crucial and vital to the success of um, of, of this space thriving so yeah shout out to him and i would definitely uh, invite him on as a, uh, as a as a as a guest yeah i'd like to talk to him not looking forward to saying his last name but yeah i, I, I know it's a, it's a tricky one maybe maybe just oliver s i don't know how, how he is with that i'm sure he'd be fine with it he's pretty easy going <laughs> good good all right well then thank you so much for taking your time today to speak with me really appreciate no. it thank you Thank you. And uh, yeah, can't wait for Medams next year. We can't either. <laughs> Cheers. If you like today's episode, please rate, follow, or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you really like our content, join our Discord community, where there's always good conversation, exciting news, and live AMAs. Thanks for listening.